At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. May is Brain Tumor Awareness Month, and that's the subject of today's podcast. It's a topic that's surrounded by a great deal of fear and misunderstanding, caused in part by widespread myths and misinformation. One goal of this podcast is to bring to you up-to-date, factual health information directly from top experts. So to help us bust some common myths about brain tumors, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Michael McDermott, a neurosurgeon and chief medical executive at Baptist Health's Miami Neuroscience Institute. Dr. McDermott is considered the number one expert in the world on meningiomas, which are the most common primary brain tumor in adults, and we'll be hearing more about those. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. So, Mike, before we get through some of the uh, myths and some of the things that my patients even ask me as a cardiologist, and I'm sure things that you deal with on a regular basis uh, that our listeners may experience or ask, tell us first about brain tumors in general. Tell us the difference between cancerous and benign brain tumors and and which are more frequent. Uh, Give us a little information and background um, that you could about uh, brain tumors. Sure. So, um, Brain tumors are relatively um, uncommon. The malignancies occur in about seven patients per 100,000. Benign tumors are about 16 per 100,000. And uh, this is much less common than breast cancer. For example, one in 10, one in 15 women, uh, much less common than prostate cancer in men over the age of 70, where the frequency is pretty much one in two, one in five. Uh, So brain tumors are relatively uncommon and combining uh, malignant tumors and benign tumors, that's about 23 people per 100,000 per year uh, in the population and about 85,000 Americans per year countrywide. So still relatively uncommon condition. Now, um, but it's scary. There are certain things we know that even though it's less likely people fear and they don't fear things that are more likely. What, why are people afraid of brain tumors? Why do it tend to resonate more with people? Um, is it certain that when you have a brain tumor, it's going to be deadly? Um, what, what are the differences between brain tumors and maybe um, um, risks of, um, of death and survival rates? Sure. So there, there is a big difference between a benign and malignant tumor. In the malignant tumors, the most common form is a tumor from some other body part like lung cancer, breast cancer, melanoma, for example. And then there's primary malignancies that arise from the supporting cells of the brain called gliomas. Um, Both of these types of tumors are very difficult to control, um, but with uh, therapies that can include surgery, radiation, and chemo, patients can live better, if not longer, with standard treatment. I think one of the things as a surgeon that I realize that patients are most afraid of is the concept of a craniotomy. Uh, Most of us might regard, with all respect to our cardiologists, that the brain is kind of the uh, uh, soul of uh, what we believe is, uh, you know, the highest order animal, which is Homo sapiens, because we're the most advanced in terms of our brain development. And everybody thinks that there's extremely high risk associated with brain surgery, but it's actually, um, it's not true. 
granted I'm biased because that's part of my regular work day. Um, but with modern techniques and technology, uh, surgery can be extremely safe uh, and very effective. So uh, the benign tumors, um, you know, are not, uh, they're a lifelong condition actually. But even with surgery, benign tumors can't be quote cured forever. And that's why the patients require long-term follow-up. There might be a 50% recurrence at 25 years after surgery and complete removal of a benign brain tumor. So uh, that's why we recommend that the patients are vigilant with uh, follow-up recommendations of their doctors. So um, great information. Brain tumors, though scary, are not that frequent, certainly relative towards the population at large and, and, and other medical conditions. And um, while benign tumors um, need to be treated and addressed, um, the survival rates are high. And even with malignant brain tumors, there's lots of things we can offer patients to, to help them uh, in terms of treatments and right. um, um, care. Um, what about certain questions now people have regarding brain tumors? And this is maybe the, the bulk of the conversation regarding the myths. So I'll throw a couple things at you. Um, what about cell phones and microwaves? And I mean, we always hear about, you know, don't put the phones next to your ears because it's called brain tumors. Is there, any, is there any data supporting that? Or maybe where does that come from? Um, no, I don't think so. And plus the information is confounded because on a daily basis, we're exposed to all sorts of uh, electromagnetic irradiation coming first from the sun, cosmic irradiation. And then just think about the uh, uh, radio frequency waves that are involved with um, cell phone transmission towers, electrical wires, radio stations, TV signal, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of different kinds of exposure. It'd be difficult to sort those things out. But the key thing about cell phones is, number one, uh, the um, uh, magnetic field induced by the battery or the incoming um, radio wave to the cell phone allows you to communicate. That energy is so low that there's not a chance it would penetrate the skull with any meaningful impact. Um, we know that uh, concrete, which is used as a bunker around radiation therapy machines, relies on the presence of calcium as a great absorber. And of course, the skull is made of calcium, therefore it'd be a great absorber of electromagnetic radiation of low energy. And if, if the um, energy from cell phones was that important, it should affect cells that are passing through the cell cycle on a regular basis. And um, that is the most, one of the most uh, active cell types is the skin. We know that if you don't shampoo your hair, you get dandruff. Those are, those are dead cells, debris. And if cell phones were important for brain tumors, we'd have a lot higher incidence of different types of skin cancer, the ear related to cell phone use. And we don't see that. So it's good to know that evolution anticipated cell phones and gave us a, <laughs> uh, a thick skull to prevent uh, brainwaves coming in. Yeah. Um, how about dental x-rays? Something that, um, again, comes up quite a bit. And I think of myself, um, what any relationship between dental x-rays and uh, benign or malignant brain tumors? No, I mean, with current modern technology, the dose related to imaging of your dentition is extremely low. Uh, epidemiologists and the, the principal author for that study uh, was Elizabeth Klaus, who's a neurosurgeon, uh, looks at uh, epidemiologic factors associated with brain tumor development and um, acknowledges that with the old technology, big, large volume fields, uh, old-fashioned irradiation techniques, same kind of 
machine that you would have an x-ray of your hip for, uh, that the dose to the brain with those techniques was much higher than it is now. So I went on record for the American Dental Association through my own personal dentist to say that, you know, with current techniques, the risk profile with dental x-rays is trivial and so small that it shouldn't really be considered a risk factor. And, you know, one of the things that yeah, you deal with, Jonathan, with cardiac disease is um, assessment of relative risk and recommending treatment. We, I have to do the same thing with my patients. And the, the great quote that I always like, as you know, they're worried about long-term effects. And I said, well, you know, the risk of death driving your car is one in 7,000 per year. And that's much higher over a 20-year period than your risk of getting a secondary brain tumor from dental x-ray exposure. Slipping in the shower and cracking your head and these yeah. other things that we uh, put ourselves at risk for regularly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. well said. A um, few other ones before we take it uh, to a different, uh, to, to talk about some other things regarding symptoms and treatments. Artificial sweeteners, again, uh, going back to my youth, um, any relationship between these artificial sweeteners that are prevalent in our, in our, in our diet right now? And, and after that, any other dietary components that have been associated with an increased risk of brain tumors? So no evidence currently that artificial sweeteners cause brain tumors, benign or malignant. No evidence that any type of diet, low copper, low selenium, uh, keto diet has any effect on brain tumors. No evidence that laying on of hands has any effect on brain tumor progression. Um, so I was, you know, jokingly say, you know, the patients will always ask me about diet. And my recommendation is tongue in cheek, no bad food and no bad wine. <laughs> <laughs> if it were only that easy. <laughs> um, um, how about um, do brain tumors run in families? If, if a family, if, if there's a, if someone in family has a brain tumor, whether malignant or benign is uh, family members at an increased risk of uh, the same kind of uh, outcome? Well, most brain tumors are sporadic. There are certain genetic conditions like neurofibromatosis, which are inherited uh, von Hippel-Lindau syndrome associated with hemangiomas. That, that was the old uh, elephant, elephant man's yeah, uh, mm -hmm. disease. Yeah. Right? yeah. NF, there's a two types, NF1, which is elephant man, which is peripheral, and NF2, which is associated with increased incidence of central brain tumors, vestibular schwannomas, meningiomas, and gliomas. Uh, but in general, you need to have at least two first-degree relatives to think that there might be some associated risk, particularly when you're talking about gliomas. Uh, but even for um, meningiomas, most of these are sporadic. We don't know the exact cause. We know what the molecular profile is, but we don't know that that molecular profile is always associated in other individuals with uh, development of a tumor. Do brain tumors only happen in older people? Um, no. Is it across an age spectrum? No. Um, turns out that between the ages of one and four, brain tumors are the most common solid organ tumor, which is surprising mm -hmm. and obviously yeah. still rare, still rare, yeah, but more rare, rare, rare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But surprisingly, the most common solid tumor in ages, the pediatric uh, young age group in adult patients, as, um, as we progress in age, obviously we have more exposures to DNA hits, if you want to call it that, and those are multiple, uh, the incidence of um, uh, primary and secondary malignancies increases. So uh, let, let's take the conversation in a different direction for the last few minutes. Um, I, I know this is kind of a loaded question because it's so broad and sem semi so vague. 
what are the symptoms that one may experience that might suggest they want to should be evaluated for a possible brain tumor? And the second part of that is when one has these symptoms, what's the likelihood is a brain tumor? Because I think some of them are going to be things that people experience on a regular basis, not related to yeah. brain tumors. Right. So um, no matter what the brain tumor type, the four most common symptoms are headache, seizures, progressive focal neurologic deficit, or change in personality or behavior. Now, one headache over two days is not a brain tumor. A headache that lasts five, seven days, worse in the morning when you wake up than the evening. Headache associated with nausea and vomiting in the morning when you first wake up. Uh, relieved by the vomiting, actually. Um, uh, those are that. That's a headache to be concerned about. But you know, the overwhelming majority of us suffer, you know, what we call tension or common migraine headaches, and those are ubiquitous and very common. And that's not an indication to consider doing a scan to rule out a brain tumor if a patient has a, a headache one day. Now, there are other types of headache which are acute, sudden onset, worst headache of your life, nausea, vomiting, altered consciousness. Those are vascular events. Yeah, bleed. Yeah. yeah. And so we worry about intracranial hemorrhage or subarachnoid hemorrhage in those cases. Those are emergencies. So those patients would be going straight away, even of, without their own, uh, own volition to the emergency department. They'd be altered and their family members would call 911 and take them in. So certainly seizure, certainly a weakness of a part of your body or an ability to, to speak and whatnot. These are things that you want to evaluate right away. Still may not be a brain tumor, but those you don't want to wait for. Right. But I think the headache was the important component, as you said. Um, and most headaches are not brain tumors. Correct. Some of the qualifications of the headache, again, if it's sore at the back of your neck after you wake up in the morning, you can touch it and rub it or whatnot, more likely muscular. But if you have that severe headache lasting for several days, um, certainly um, get it checked out. Um, so with all the, the um, information we've gleaned over decades of, of medical care and science, um, and with your expertise uh, in brain tumor uh, assessment and more importantly, treatment, what, what services and what are the components of the Miami Neuroscience Institute that make it uh, a leader in uh, evaluation and treatment of uh, brain tumors? Well, I think um, our group includes neurosurgeons, uh, neurologists, neuroradiologists, uh, physiatrists, physical therapists, rehab physicians. Um, you know, I think the important thing is um, having the uh, individuals who are capable of uh, assisting with confirming a diagnosis by history and physical first. And then we have the appropriate imaging studies, which we do. And then once the diagnosis is made, recommendations for treatment should be evidence-based, not, not opinion-based. And I think we try and um, uh, support that approach. We have a multidisciplinary tumor board for newly diagnosed patients in cooperation with radiation oncologists and neuro-oncologists at the Miami Cancer Institute. And uh, all new patients get presented there for discussion about the best form of treatment and options of treatment. Once, um, for example, if it's a malignancy, for example, um, after, after surgery, the radiation therapy um, and chemotherapy can be done. And I must say one of the attractions bringing me to Miami was uh, the Cancer Institute and the Department of Radiation Oncology because about 30% of my practice in San Francisco was radiosurgery. And there's no place like the Cancer Institute in the world with the delivery systems that they have protons, 
photon delivery systems, multiple linear accelerators, CyberKnife, Tomotherapy, GammaKnife, MR Linac, and we were just approved to acquire uh, something, another self-shielded linear accelerator called the ZAP, uh, which might have great utility for the developing world because you don't have to build the bunker, concrete bunker, like I was talking about earlier to absorb the radiation because it's absorbed by the steel frame. So I think there's a lot of technology with the, on the operative side, we have all the abilities to do interoperative awake speech mapping, sleep motor mapping. We also have um, engaged in, and uh, a company called Omniscient, uh, which has a uh, program called QuickTome. So we can actually display all the association subcortical white matter fiber tracks and cortical functional areas on the image guided systems that we use for uh, surgery. So multidisciplinary approach to the patient, personalized approach to the patient, yes. using state-of-the-art technologies and state-of-the-art uh, uh, medical expertise. And also I think what's as unique is also the care of the patient even after a surgery or a treatment. So we're really um, you know, dealing with survivorship and, and the impact as well, which makes it very unique. And uh, we're certainly uh, pleased and, and honored to have you join us and help uh, build the program around those methodologies and philosophies. Um, Great stuff, um, uh, Mike. And again, brain tumors are serious, though rare. Um, treatment options are extensive, uh, not necessarily happening with age. Um, headache as the most common uh, sign and symptom, but at the same time, a unique kind of headache lasting for a long time, nausea. So most people with a headache should not be thinking it's a brain tumor uh, first line. We don't want to scare people uh, unnecessarily. Um, any final thoughts or anything you want to uh, mention before we uh, wrap up? No, I just that... Um... You know, I think the, the, the future for the patients of Miami and South Florida is, uh, is great because um, there's developing facilities, technologies, and as you said, expertise uh, to ensure that they get the, you know, state-of-the-art treatment, the most appropriate treatment uh, for their condition. Well said. Um, thanks again, uh, Dr. Michael uh, McDermott, um, a neurosurgeon and chief medical executive at Baptist Health Miami Neuroscience Institute. To our listeners, um, you've listened to his talk and now we'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or suggestions for future topics, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe and give this podcast a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. Until next time, stay safe and mask up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.